0: God together sing with me you have come you have come.
1: Good morning, Groton Bible Chapel. You can have a seat for a moment. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. Just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning, be it in person or online. Welcome to Groton Bible Chapel. We are a church committed to Jesus and to reflecting him to a world in need of him. And we are excited to be worshiping together. This morning, I have an announcement for you all. You may have heard this last week. We're going to put this out there again to all the men in the house. We have a men's event coming up. We're going to be uh, putting something together on February 26th. We're getting guys together. It's gonna be a wonderful event. It's from Paul Tripp. He's done a lot of awesome stuff for men, for family, for relationships. Uh, and, and, and this particular Sunday, or this particular Friday night, is all about guys coming together in community and saying, God, what do you have for me? And so during this event, we have two options. Guys, two options one you can do it in your home and we will stream and that means you can invite up to one to three people we would encourage you to meet together you could eat you could hang out and then you can stream it there will be worship from GBC and then we will have uh, be streaming the video content from Paul Tripp there will be discussion provided or You can show up and you can do it here in person with us. Either way, we would ask you go online to the website. You can register on the front of the website, click learn more and go from there. But uh, guys, we really want to get as many dudes together because guys, I'll just be real. You hang in the background. A lot of you, you kind of, you get dragged by a friend, you get dragged by a spouse. It's time to step up, to show up to actually enjoy and build into the community of men that we have here and all that God has in store for the men of the church. And so mark your calendars, February 26th. We're excited and we look forward to seeing you there. With that, go ahead and stand up church. We're gonna continue worshiping now.
2: face the waves. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to fear the storm just because I hear it roar. I don't want to fear the storm. I don't want to fear the storm. going to be afraid because these waves are only waves I'm not going to
0: I from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more, my shame was a ransom, you faithfully bore. he cancelled my debt, he cancelled my debt. Savior displayed on a criminal's cross, and darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost.
3: But then Jesus.
0: cross before
4: Please pray with me father god thank you so much for this day thank you lord that that we can call you father that you are the creator of heaven and earth you are a creator of each of us lord and and you wish to call you wish to call us your children lord we can come to you as a father we can come to you with everything lord and we thank you so much for that lord um as we sang Just recently, death was arrested. Something that we have, there are so many things we have no power over, but especially death, Lord. We cannot control that in any way, Lord, but you can, and you have, and you've done that through your son. Thank you so much for that, Lord. Um, Thank you for all you've done in our lives. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for the weather being better so that we can all join together this morning, either online or here, Lord. thank you for all these things lord there's so much to be thankful for even though so much is uncertain we feel like so much is uncertain in the world lord but uh everything is certain through you you are none of this was a surprise nothing this nothing here is a surprise nothing in our lives the good things the bad things whatever they are lord um you are in control of all of them even though things feel out of control lord and And that is a huge blessing, Lord. The fact that nothing is random or or lost or just the chaos of the world is not just, that's not the truth, Lord. The truth is you are in control. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for this morning. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would be here to listen to your word, um, to learn from you, Lord, to learn from your word, and to learn from the others here. We thank you for all this. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.
5: I turn it on. So my name is Jason, I'm on the pastoral staff here at GBC. And you may remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how Grand Bible Chapel had invested in the Ramsey Plus program uh, so that all of the GBC family could take advantage of all the tools with Ramsey Plus for free. And we are also offering our financial peace class and that's coming up soon. And so in preparation for that, I'm here with my good friends, Mark and Kim, and we're gonna talk about uh, what kind of impact financial peace has had on a, on a particular family. So good morning, guys.
6: Good
7: morning. All
5: right. All right. Thanks for joining us. So first question, what impact did financial peace have on you?
7: Well, I don't know um, how many of you know my testimony, but I was a single mother and struggled financially my whole young adult life, um, didn't have any of these tools. and. During that time, there was um, two occasions where I opened an envelope in receipt of an anonymous donation to help me pay bills through Christmas time. And it was such an amazing experience to receive money like that both times. It was just, I mean, I'm still chills thinking about it. And then after doing financial peace, multiple times now, we've been able to pay it forward. And I can say, having been on both sides of the the coin, so to speak, (laughs) um, it's even more of a blessing to be able to give than it was to receive. It's it's amazing.
6: Amen.
5: How did uh, FPU impact your
6: marriage? Well, I would say that uh, it brought us closer together to work on the budget. As, as a team as opposed to one or the other, which took, I think, a lot of the stress out of our financial lives. And we were able to work and, and build our our budget based on the how we best would be able to allocate God's money and use it um, to, to many people's advantage. And it also kept us from doing any sort of overspending because we knew exactly what was in the budget, what was allocated for each. Each different budget item and therefore it kept away the stress from that aspect as well
5: yeah um, finances can be a scary thing it can be a hard thing to try to overcome or dive into and, a, and a, it can be a hard step to take to begin to develop a budget so what would you say to someone who's on the fence in terms of joining uh, FPU or Ramsey Plus
7: well first of all it's free <laughs> <laughs>
6: and, and it's also fun to see how God's money gets put to use and in, 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 once you get into the the use of the uh, Financial Peace University tool set, then more money becomes available and you're able to allocate more to helping others, which, which is really fun.
7: And then um, I can also attest to this past year I, I changed not just jobs, but professions, and I took almost a half, a 50% cut in pay, which was significant, but I know that because we had gone through financial peace and had the tools in place, it really didn't have as much of an impact as it, I expected it to, let alone that it would have otherwise.
6: Right. And, and also, the, the tools that you get, some of them are, are pretty much common sense, but a lot of us, I know personally, I didn't ad- adopt them until it was brought to my attention. And then, putting those into place and seeing the benefits it could have, not… Even for the immediate, but for the long term, was huge. Amen. Thank you, guys, both for sharing, for
5: being vulnerable, and I just I so appreciate your friendship and the witness you have in your life. Thank you, guys. Would you give me a hand, please? So the FPU University starts on February 28th, and if you want to know more information about it, you can go into the Welcome Center in the back on your way out, and you can sign up, and it's just a wonderful program, especially if you're just trying to manage your money, if you're just starting out in marriage, you're trying to figure it all out. I just would really encourage you to join And Like like Kim said, it's free, all right? And with that, everybody, would you stand and greet one another? If you're at home, would you FaceTime or text or do whatever you want to do and just be responsible? Thank you.
8: to tell you, (laughs) Valentine's Day is not a big, a heavy hitter of a holiday in our house. It's just not. Now, it's not that we don't celebrate Valentine's Day, but we often don't celebrate it on the day of Valentine's. I often don't buy flowers on Valentine's Day. Uh, I'll wait 10 10 days two weeks later, probably because I'm cheap, I'm a bit of a nonconformist, and I happen to be married to a a woman who's very practical. Uh, But you know, the the Valentine's Day that I do remember the most, we, we have celebrated it, uh, was we, Our kids were really small, and we were actually living in the parsonage here on site. And my wife went out, and she bought a couple lobsters and a couple steaks. And we put the kids to bed really early. Might have been some Benadryl involved. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and, uh, and we just cooked together. We lit the candles. And we just had this long time around dinner. The food came out excellent. We were more happy with what we produced than what we would have had that night in a restaurant trying to get a babysitter. It was, just, it's been a, it was a great It was a great memory, and uh, so I don't know what we're doing today. I will tell you, I shared this with my 10-year-old daughter last night, and she was just aghast that we we don't do much of anything on Valentine's Day, and so uh, needless to say, I have a a date planned with my daughter right after church today, and we're going shopping, so um, the influence of uh, a father's little girl. Uh, My name's Gary Campbell. I'm the the lead pastor here at GBC. I want to welcome you in uh, once again, whether you're at home or uh, here in the room. And you know, as you think about Valentine's Day, in the English, we only have one word for love. In the Greek, we have eros and phileo, and we have the agape love of God. And whereas Valentine's Day is sort of a way to celebrate our commitment of love in either the eros kind of love, or if you're doing a Galentine's event, the phileo kind of love, what we do each Sunday, Sunday by Sunday, is we celebrate the agape love of Christ, the love uh, wherewith he loved us and gave himself for us. And even as we read last week, that he calls us to live uh, and to love each other in in like manner. And so this morning, we are actually going to start a new series with the idea of uh, promises. Love often involves, in fact, I'd argue it always involves some level of commitment or promise. And so we're going to see over the next several weeks, the promises that Jesus makes to the disciples, and by extension to you and to me. This morning we're looking at this theme of untroubled hearts. And we'll see that untroubled hearts come not from doing, or determining, or demanding, but from trusting in Jesus. And, uh, you know, this morning's message, we're going we're gonna to be looking at some of the most familiar words of Jesus' upper room discourse. there will be words you've likely heard before, and as we look at Jesus' time, as he is intimately uh, speaking to the 11 remaining disciples. You may remember that Judas has left the room, and so Jesus turns, and he even changes his language, beginning with dear children, or little children, this term of endearment to his disciples. But what's fascinating about the text we're gonna look at this morning is that we're gonna see first Peter, and then Thomas, and then Philip actually interrupts Jesus as he's just kind of getting going. And what's amazing about Jesus' response here is he's not derailed or distracted by these three successive interruptions. If anything, he kind of takes those interruptions and turns them back on the disciples and, and allows those interruptions to teach deeper uh, about what he was talking about. It's perhaps an, uh, the greatest understatement maybe that Jesus is a brilliant teacher. And we'll see that in this morning's text. But I also think that in each interruption, we can see a fleshly response, a fleshy response of each disciple that we can see in sort of archetypal way, uh, uh, the fleshly responses that you and I are prone to when confronted with our relationship with God. And so we're going to look at the text a little bit differently this morning. We're going to profile the disciples and kind of ask questions of ourselves in this regard. And I think we'll see in Jesus' responses three applications that we can make. In our own lives. So I hope you're excited for this uh, particular text, for this approach, and uh, I know I am and have been as I've been preparing. So why don't we pray and then we'll open God's Word together. Uh, Father, we come before you this morning once again, Lord, celebrating the commitment that you made to us in the cross, honoring our commitment to walk with you, Lord, in the mess of our lives and the sin and brokenness of our world to acknowledge that we need you, Lord Jesus. Lord, would you speak to us this morning from your word. Help us to be ready to receive what you have by your Holy Spirit and pray that your word this morning is clear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we begin this morning, and I have to tell you, as we look at these three interruptions, that for whatever reason, I had in my head as I was preparing Monty Python. And so I've named each of the disciples sort of a medieval knight's name just to kind of help me remember. And uh, so Peter, I'm calling Peter the Exasperated. Peter the Exasperated. Uh, And we're going to back up to John 13, verse 33. And in verse 33, we see Jesus talking about the very thing that that Peter is going to interrupt him about, and it will give us the context. And so it begins. Children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you, and if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. So we have the interruption here of Peter. and I think we're going to see a Jesus response to this this particular interruption kind of answers the issue of our self-effort. That is, our religious efforts, our, our personal efforts to be good enough and to do for God or on God's behalf. And I think we'll see that Jesus teaches us that he has done all that is necessary for us not only to have hearts that are not troubled, but to be with him for all eternity. So let's look at Peter this morning. Peter's fleshly response uh, moves him to make a declaration. And it's a declaration of what he is going to do for Jesus. Now, I want to look at a strength of each of these disciples as well. I think Peter's strength is probably the most clear and obvious. Peter's strength is his loyalty. Peter is fiercely loyal to Jesus. But this loyalty fleshes it out in some sort of negative qualities. I was thinking about some adjectives to describe Peter. Of course, we have exasperated. But Peter, he's bewildered. He's puzzled, he's impatient, he's presumptuous. And it's as if he's saying, and perhaps his profile or his response echoes my attitude at times to God. As if we were saying this, Jesus, tell me what I need to do. Or perhaps, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you, God. And Jesus' response here essentially said, there's nothing that you can do. I have done all that's necessary. So Jesus outlines four things that he's going to do. He says he he goes, he prepares, he comes, and he brings. Now for the disciples at this time, all four of these things are future tense. For us, two of these things have already happened. And a little bit of oversimplifying here in the text just for, for our application this morning, but nonetheless, Jesus says that he goes. And we know from the surrounding context in the free, previous couple of messages that when Jesus talks about going where no one else can go, including the disciples, he's talking about going to the cross. That Jesus is going to a place that they cannot go. Why? Because they, and you and I, have sin not only in their own lives behaviorally and attitudinally, but in their very nature. We bear in ourselves the sin of Adam and our own sin in action and attitude and so forth and so we cannot go, the disciples could not go where Jesus is going. He goes to the cross. But he also says he goes and he prepares. Now certainly in the sense of of the preparation of our salvation is also included in the cross, but very quickly moves to the resurrection. We're just a few weeks away from talking about the resurrection on Easter Sunday and the necessity of Christ's resurrection to empower and validate the sacrifice on the cross. So Jesus goes to the cross. He prepares through his resurrection. He goes before us. And in raising to new life, he enables and empowers our resurrection that will come one day as well. In other words, as a Christian, you need not fear death. Death is not the end. And because Jesus has risen from the dead, we are promised to be raised one day as well with him. Well, those are the two things that have already been done from where we sit this morning. But then Jesus says that he comes, or in, in our case this morning, that he will come. Jesus will come again. He will return. And he will not come infant holy, infant lowly, but he will come in power and in great victory. He will come as a, uh, to redeem his people, to bring and to usher the final act of our salvation, as it were. And that brings us to the last thing. He comes and he will bring us to be with him. He comes as judge and ruler. He comes and he will reign. And the scripture says that we will reign with him. Jesus goes, he prepares, he comes and he brings. Now we're admittedly making an interpretive approach here that steps away from really getting into the eschatology of this passage and is really pursuing the relationship of this passage. We're doing that this morning in this particular approach for two reasons. Number one, Jesus is, is relational in his response to Peter. Don't let your heart be troubled. He is being patiently persistent as he pursues Peter. I know that's a lot of peace but he is. And also, the other reason for this approach this particular morning is because that's John's intent. John's intent is that we would understand the relationship that God is pursuing with us. Remember John says, I write all this stuff down that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, Peter, and you and me, Jesus not only does for us what is necessary for our salvation, freeing us from the activity of our own salvation. But he does not call us to inactivity. In fact, Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are to be doing the work of reconciling and being reconciled one to the other ver- or horizontally as it were. Why? Because we have been reconciled to God vertically. He has done everything necessary. So our first application this morning from Peter's interruption is this. An untroubled heart is found in trusting what Jesus has promised. Trusting what Jesus has promised, that he goes, he prepares, he will come, and he will bring us to be with him. In other words, an untroubled heart doesn't come from my own resolve to do on my own behalf. Now, that's very anti-New England, right? As New Englanders, we, we get it done, We pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're autonomous. We're impetuous at times. Jesus has done everything, and so our hearts are promised to be untroubled as we trust in the promises of Jesus. Well, that brings us to interruption number two. And we'll call this one Thomas the Despairing. Jesus in verse 4 says this, You know the way to where I am going. Lord Thomas said, We don't know where you you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So we see Thomas again, Thomas the despairing. And in Jesus' response to this interruption answers the issue of our need to know. It's a control thing. It's a striving intellectually, as it were. And it teaches us that Jesus has revealed God's perfect and only way, God's plan for us to have peace in our hearts, to have eternal life. So let's look at, at Thomas. Thomas responds in the flesh with doubt. Not a surprise, right? He's known in the scripture and we see elsewhere. He is indeed doubting Thomas. We've called him Thomas the despairing this morning. I think probably Thomas's greatest quality is his honesty. Right? He, he tells Jesus right where he's at. He, he asks Jesus this question, Jesus answers, and he responds just very directly. He's the guy who says what's on his mind. But at the same time, Thomas, representatively is, is pessimistic. He's despairing, as we said. He's, he's skeptical. He's resigned, and he's certainly confused. See, Thomas's profile echoes my attitude when at times I say, Jesus, show me or tell me how to determine, how to know where you're going and what you're doing in my life. And Jesus responds, there's nowhere you can go. I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. You know, the way here is slightly dominant to the truth in life in the context, right? Jesus has been talking that he's going somewhere, and Thomas's question is about where he's going. Jesus is the way to the Father because he's the truth from the Father and the life from the Father as well. And so he's laying it out very clearly. This past week, I was listening to uh, Dave Ward's sermon on this particular passage, Dave Ward, if you don't know, is our founding pastor here at GBC and was ministered here for 50 years. He was the pastor of my childhood, and it's been a lot of fun to listen to his messages. And he outlined this passage very simply as the way assumed, the way confused, and the way explained. And I love how he approached that. He said, the way assumed, Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. The way confused, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, and we don't even know the way. And Jesus explains or describes, I am the way the truth, and the life. You know what's interesting about that? That hasn't changed. When Jesus says, no one gets to the Father, no one comes to the Father except through me, as Dave Ward preached that message, probably in the 60s or 70s, that hasn't changed. It's the same message we're preaching this morning. To drive home the point, I want to share an illustration that Dave used. Uh, I didn't have a date stamp on this particular message, but this is exactly what he said. He was talking about the uh, exact representation that Jesus is of God the Father, and he said this. Think about your typewriter at home. He said that. It, with the assumption and sort of the implication that everyone has one and uses it regularly. And he goes on to, to express how when the, when the typewriter key strikes the paper, it makes an exact impression. It's a great illustration, completely outdated. And isn't that amazing that the illustrations, the context of the time in which he was talking, the method has changed so much. The message is not. It's the same today. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so you see, Thomas, and you and me, Jesus not only reveals the plan of God, that he is the way to the Father, but he frees us from having to answer every question. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We are not saying that Jesus doesn't call us to an intellectual faith. The Christian faith is a reasonable and reasoned faith. Here at Groton Bible Chapel, we love uh, apologetics ministry. Apologetics simply means the defense of our faith. And so we promote books like uh, Frank Turek and Norm Geisler's I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist or J. Warner Wallace's Cold Case Christianity or even going way back, Paul Little's Know Why You Believe and others. And we just recently did an apologetics class because God calls us to a reasonable and reasoned faith. But it is faith in Christ It is a faith that overcomes our skepticism. So our second application is this. An untroubled heart is found in trusting God's revealed plan. That he is the way. The only way. (coughs) Excuse me. In other words, it's not my ability to trust or to know everything, to understand everything. God works in spite of my skepticism. I wonder if you trusted in his promises, in his plan this morning. In fact, that begs our key question today. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is Jesus who he says he is? And I ask that question in the present tense because we believe that Jesus rose again and is alive today. Jesus' declaration here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me is an exclusive statement. It is a dogmatic statement. It is even, dare I say, an offensive statement. But it is corroborated. It is the full teaching of the rest of the New Testament. Peter, in Acts chapter 4, says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There is one name, the name of Jesus. Paul, in talking to his young protege, Timothy, he says, For there is one God and one mediator, one go-between, between between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. One name, one mediator. And Hebrews tells us how this happens. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is his body. Jesus says he is the way he is the only way. Paul and Peter confirm this, and Hebrews helps us understand it is through his blood that has been shed that we are forgiven and his body broken. That's the only way. It is exclusive. I love how J. J. Vernon McGee said it. He told this story. He says this, he says, years ago, a student out at UCLA told me he didn't like the Bible because it's filled with dogmatism. I agreed with him that it is. He especially selected this verse, John 14, 6, and said, that's dogmatic. I said, it sure is. But if you realize that it is the characteristic of truth to be dogmatic, truth has to be dogmatic. He goes on to say, I had a teacher who was the most dogmatic, narrow-minded person I've ever met. She insisted that two plus two equals four. Friend, let me say to you that one of the characteristics of truth is dogmatism. Here's the point this morning. Have you answered that question for yourself? is Jesus who he said he is? You know, not everyone out there is in full-on angry rebellion against God in their sin. Every one of us is sinful. We all sin, but not everyone is in this mode of purposeful rebellion. Some people are going about their lives doing good things, but that's the problem is that they're going their own way, not the only way. Proverbs 14 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And so maybe your life is is identified by uh, uh, humanitarianism or altruism, but the scripture says that is not enough. I think of Bill Gates, who's uh, an amazing philanthropist, has given hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to all kinds of causes that have helped lots of people. But even if someone as generous as Bill Gates, has not received and believed in Jesus, is the only way responded to this truth claim of Christ, then he is lost. And that applies to each one of us as well. The most important question we will ever answer is, is Jesus who he says he is? And how do I respond to that? Exhort you this morning to not let this day go by without deeply thinking on that one question. Brings us to interruption number three. This one's not as creative, but we've called him Philip the Realistic. Philip the Realistic. uh, At the end of verse 7, Jesus had said, From now on you do know him, that is the Father, and you have seen him. Lord, Philip said, show us the Father, that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time and you don't know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these. And he goes on. Jesus' response to this interruption answers the issue of our self-centeredness and the demands we make, even on God at times. And teaches us that Jesus has not only made God known as we've seen previously, but in his grace, he responds to demand with invitation by inviting us to be his representatives in the world, as we saw there in verse 12. So let's look at Philip. Philip responds in the flesh with demand or ultimatum. Now, I don't think it's driven essentially by malice. He's desirous to know God, to see God revealed. And I think Philip's strength is probably his practicality. Let's cut to the chase. Let's make this easy to understand, to know authoritatively. But in the the process, he's demanding and materialistic. And he's missed everything that Jesus has said to this point. And so Philip's profile echoes my attitude when I at times say, Jesus, make yourself unmistakably real to me on my terms. And Jesus responds, there's nothing you need to see beyond my word and my works on your behalf. I am everything that you need. You know, it's likely that Philip had something in mind like the Old Testament revelations of God to the patriarchs. We think of Exodus 34 that we've talked about a little bit this year, where God uh, reveals his glory to Moses. He tucks Moses in that cleft of the rock and he reveals his glory. It's likely that Philip is asking for something like that. What's interesting, and I don't know the answer to this question, but Philip was not present when Jesus was transfigured. But Peter, James, and John were. Peter, James, and John saw this very kind of thing that Philip is asking for. For whatever reason, in God's great plan, Philip wasn't a part of that. And so Jesus refers to two things. He says that he manifests the Father through his words, and he evidences the Father through his works. That's what he says in verses 9, 10, and 11. Look at the words that I have spoken. They're not my words. They're the Father's words. Or if you don't believe for that, believe for the works themselves. His words and works. Even though we haven't seen Jesus' miracles, it applies to us today. And just a quick note on Jesus' miracles. You know, John only records seven, right? The seven sign miracles of Jesus. And because of John's thesis, we know that he picks and recounts the particular miracles that he does to make a clear case categorically that Jesus is the Son of God. But we could also say, even in all the synoptic Gospels, in every miracle that's recorded, there is not one miracle that Jesus does that is done for the sake of itself, or that is done just to be a sideshow. Each of Jesus' miracles is done with intent and purpose, and two primary purposes. Number one, to validate his message, the message of the kingdom, the message of God's plan. And number two, to demonstrate his deity to demonstrate that he is God. As some have said, there were a lot of lepers and a lot of blind people and a lot of people that were ill in various ways in Palestine at this time. Jesus didn't heal them all. And Jesus does his works with intent that we would know who he is. He manifests through his words and he evidences through his works. But then we see the great grace of Jesus Christ and that he further invites where we demand. He invites where we demand. It's as if he says, John says to us, you see, Philip, and you and me, Jesus is not only the physical manifestation of the Father, but he, through his cross and resurrection, enables and invites those who have trusted in him to participate in his kingdom. To be active participants in the work of God in the world in spite of ourselves and his great grace. And so our third application is this. An untroubled heart is found in trusting that Jesus invites my participation. An untroubled heart is found in trusting his promises, his plan, and even in my participation. It's not in determining my own way or it's not demanding he act on my own terms. And God works in his grace despite my insistence at times, my foot stamping, that he worked my way. I'm going to invite the band up at this point as we move toward a conclusion uh, in our service. I want to sort of just summarize what we've talked about this morning in these interruptions of Peter, Thomas, and Philip, and the words of Jesus, his response to these interruptions. And I want to ask this question. Remember our big point this morning is that untroubled hearts come not from doing, determining, or demanding but from my trusting in Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, which one are you? Which one of these three do you see yourself in this morning? Are you like Peter? Exasperated that circumstances don't add up? Declaring to God what you're going to do? Jesus invites you to trust that his promises are sure. He goes, he prepares, he will come and he will bring. Or are you like Thomas, despairing over the way that things are going, expressing doubt in the midst of your own personal confusion? Jesus invites you to trust that his plan is secure. He is still the way, the truth, and the life, even today. Or are you like Philip, demanding that God act in a manner that you think that he should act? Jesus invites you to participate in what he's doing in the world. It's a lavish, it's a demonstration of his lavish grace. I want to invite you this morning to come to the front and receive prayer in just a few moments. The band's going to lead us in a closing song, a song of reflection and worship. I'm going to ask uh, some of the elders and, and wives who are in the room to come forward when the music begins and to just be available to you. You can come as the song is being played. You can come after the song ends, whatever your preference. If you're online this morning, I'd encourage you to jump into the comments and to say, man, I identify with Peter. Be a little vulnerable with each other in that community. And I ask you to pray for each other. We're going to have some elders and wives available to pray with you. But primary amongst all the things that we're inviting you for this morning, is to answer that question. Is Jesus who he says he is? Don't leave here today. Don't quit out of the YouTube or the, or the streaming service that you're on this morning without answering that question. will not you stand and sing with us at this time and I'll ask the elders and wives to come forward.
3: you
5: thank you all for being here today I want you to consider and reconsider what Gary's message means to each and every one of us in the meantime however if you're new today stop by the Welcome Center there are some people there that can answer some questions for you if you're at home don't get offline go online and look at the website and there are questions that could be answered for you there Another announcement, on March 7th, we start another Welcome Aboard class. Gives you the opportunity to get to know more about GBC, more about some of the people that are in leadership here. And with that, typically, we have a young man here that I love who would say, you're not dismissed, you're sent. But maybe you're called and think about that. Go have a great day in the name of the Lord, thank you.